just walking around and sort of looking and saying, why is that working that way? And why are you doing that? And what's going on over there can sometimes bring some of the best slam dunk paybacks I've ever seen. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's... The interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best a lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff with us today. Jason Delam. How you doing, Jason? Pretty good, Joe. Well, nice to have you on the show. I'm glad you're doing pretty good because we've got an episode that we're going to undertake today where we're going to free up some of the best ever listeners and myself, for that matter, operate our properties more efficiently. And that's because Jason is the founder and owner of a company called Interdependent Energies. It is a carbon and sustainable energy consultant company. He basically, as I mentioned, helps property owners free up their cash flow by doing an energy audit, upgrade the property, and then run it more efficiently for years to come. He's been doing this since 2009. He's done over 12 million total square feet of facility space that he's audited. He's based in Frankfort, Kentucky. With that being said, Jason, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. My background is in architecture, and then I have a master's in energy planning from the University of Cincinnati. And between those two degrees, I can focus at the building level all the way up to the regional level on how the building fits within a larger energy framework. So I'm able to look at utility, bills, costs, rates, all the way down to the building, and then how the building uses its individual light bulbs, HVAC, thermal envelope, to operate within that larger utility structure. And having that whole spectrum is really an advantage because there's savings and opportunities for savings all the way along that spectrum that I can help unlock for the client. 
Mm-hmm. Give us an example of a deal that you audited, cost savings, what specifically did they enhance, all that good stuff. Well, I work with all different types of clients. I always like to say, you get a lot of calls from clients saying, hey, I'd like to go solar. And then I stop and go, well, have you actually upgraded your lighting HVAC, which usually the answer is no. And then I start with conservation, energy efficiency, and then renewables as the three tiers they should be looking at for investments. Conservation is your quickest savings. Energy efficiency is your second. And then renewables obviously has a much longer return on investment. Many, many customers have never really even done the conservation part. So I like to start there and kind of dig in that. I work with clients all the way on the spectrum from small commercial all the way up to industrial. And throughout that whole spectrum, there's opportunities for insulation upgrades, lighting, HVAC, solar, geothermal. I've done all sorts of projects like that. And I also like to utilize USDA REIT program in rural areas to be able to write grants, to be able to leverage funds from the federal government to help kind of package those projects. I've done about $2 million worth of grants awarded to date on about 60 different projects. What do you like to do in rural areas? There's a program under the USDA called the REAP program, and it's set up for small businesses to give a 25% match to an eligible energy efficiency or renewable project in a rural area. Most of Kentucky is a rural area. Much of Ohio is a rural area under the guise of that program. And I use it pretty effectively to help small rural businesses. And small can be quantified quite differently under SBA. It can range from small to a fairly large business of 1,000 employees, but still be considered small. And they're able to go for this grant to help them leverage that money. Did you say REAP? REAP, R-E-A-P. If someone wants to learn more about that program in particular, they just Google R-E-A-P government program or what? USDA REAP would get them there. All right. Well, let's go back to the three pillars of the process. And it's an in-order thing, it sounds like. First, conservation. Second, energy savings. And third, renewables. Did I write those three down correctly? Pretty close. Yeah. Conservation, energy efficiency upgrades, and then Ah. renewables. Okay. So I can walk you through that. Conservation is turn off stuff you don't need and set back things when you're not utilizing the building. So making sure your HVAC systems, your lighting are on setbacks and schedules. So when you're not in the building, the lights aren't on, the HVAC throttles back to a lower degree, no point in using energy when you don't need it. It can also include looking at your building from a more holistic point of view and starting to take equipment out that's not needed or is running redundantly that maybe is not needed anymore. Like what, for example? Well, I run into situations where air compressors, there's too many air compressors in the building when really they just need one or air compressors are set at too high of a PSI. It could be throttled down or boilers are set too high. They're creating 140 degree water when they only need to be creating 120 degree water. So taking equipment and sort of right sizing it, making sure it's working within optimal parameters is a conservation strategy. The cool thing is it's basically a return on investment because it's instant savings with little to no investment of cash. Energy efficiency as you move up the spectrum. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. I got some questions on conservation. <laughs> you know this so well, and I don't, and I'm taking it in a little bit slower than what you're talking, and that's great because a lot of people listen to this podcast on two or three times X because I talk so slow. So you're going to be perfect for them. I actually slow those people down to listen to the podcast normally. Hold on. All right. Conservation. Turn off stuff you don't need. 
setback things when you're not using the building. Let's talk about turn off stuff you don't need. Lights, that's an obvious thing. What else? Let's see. So you got lights, um, a real easy conservation strategy. You can also throttle down things you don't need. So for me, a real popular one is working with hotels to go in and actually switch out aerators from a two-gallon-a-minute aerator down to one-gallon-per-minute aerator. You're not only saving water, sewer, and hot water. It can be a dramatic payback on a very simple solution that takes a few seconds to switch out. Mm -hmm. So you're throttling down that water use. Shower heads can be the same way. They've got shower heads down to one, even half a gallon per minute. Not sure if I'd want to take that shower, but down from two and a half to two down to every minute someone uses that shower, it uses that much less water. Mm -hmm. And a few other options would be with lighting, you've got these really advanced lighting sensors now. Back in the day, you had to kind of pick between motion or light diode or warmth of the room. Now they've kind of combined them all together. So you put these up through these controls to your building, and when someone's not in a room after a few minutes, lights turn off, turn down, bathrooms turn off, turn down, stairwells turn off, turn down. You obviously want to balance safety with turning things back, so you might want every other light in the stairwell to turn down or turn off so that an emergency situation kicks back on. But it's really going through and looking at every usage of energy and thinking holistically about why am I using this and how is it being used properly? And I've seen many situations where buildings and building owners, the building just kind of matriculates how its energy is being used. And no one ever goes through and kind of asks them dumb questions. Why is this on? Why is that on? So you can lead to a lot of energy being used carelessly that once you go in and tighten that up, you can see some significant savings. The rule of thumb generally is with just conservation alone, it's done properly in a space that's never really been tying down before, you can see 5 to 10% of savings right off the top of the utility bill annually. With energy efficiency being more that 10 to 30, 40, 50% range, depending on really how aggressive you get with energy efficiency. So, you know, between conservation and energy efficiency, you might be able to tighten your building down to a 30, 40, 50% reduction in utility costs, somewhere in the order of on the low end, one-year return on investment up to as much as eight or 10-year return, like I said, how aggressive you're getting. The thing I get really excited about when I'm talking about these things, especially in Kentucky where we have a fairly low cost of utilities per kilowatt hour, is oftentimes you can combine an energy efficiency project with a capital investment project. So you have a boiler that you need to upgrade. Well, some people just grab another boiler and swap out what they've got. And some people take the opportunity to upgrade the boiler maybe by a 10% cost to a much more efficient boiler, which then has a return on investment. Now, that boiler might have a 12 or 15-year return on investment, but think about it. It's a capital investment they're making that actually has a return on it, not just a sunk cost in their building. And that's where I get really excited is where you can find those moments where the equipment or the lighting no longer functions as it should, and you can use that opportunity not only to upgrade the asset in the building, but you can use it to go to the next level and actually have a payback on that capital cost mm -hmm. when you do that. And I try to align those as much as possible when I'm dealing with buildings so the owner can kind of get a double win there. What type of going to just a simple thing like lights, having the right lights that turn off, turn down, maybe they dim a little bit, what type of brand do you recommend, if any? It's funny you ask that. I think there's a lot of brands out there now. There's obviously the top shelf ones. 
GE, Sylvania kind of things. And then there's a lot of new brands coming on the market in the LED world, coming over from China and other places. Talking about lighting vendor friends, they say those top shelf brands usually are pretty like for like. As long as you're picking from one of the top end brands that have been around for a while, they're pretty interchangeable. Some will have some strengths that others don't, but for the most part, you're doing pretty well. The thing to look at in lighting really is T12, T8, T5 LED. And when you're dealing with commercial buildings, you're usually dealing with those fluorescent bulbs. Take it from me. If you go in and look at these fluorescent bulbs and you see the really big fat ones, about an inch in diameter, that's a T12 bulb. And it is generally a slam dunk for that down to an LED. T8s are the slightly thinner bulbs. That is also a pretty good payback down to an LED. T5 is the really teeny thin bulb. It's starting to look like a pencil almost. They haven't quite got the return on investment yet there for LED, and there's some length issues with that type of ballast and fixture. But if you have clients out there that have T12s, T8s, they definitely should be looking at the LED swap at this point. Definitely the T12 LED is a freaking phenomenal slam dunk. I'll say that. Okay. Just so I'm clear, you're saying if we have a T12 or T8, then we should replace it with an LED? You should definitely look at getting a vendor or if they have facility staff looking at what that replacement to an LED equivalent would be. Lighting is very complicated. There's a lot more we could talk about from de-lamping the situation where if you have a space that's overlit, maybe you only need one bulb every two bulbs. You could even kind of take out lighting to some degree because it's an overlit space. You can also heat a space, cool a space by different designs. And whenever looking at lighting, a commercial user should think about, are they a showroom? They need a certain type of light. Are they a factory building? Are they a warehouse? There's a kind of lights for every situation. But as a general rule, LED's time has come and they are rocking out the market and the price just keeps plummeting. And if someone hasn't looked at lighting in five, eight years, it's time to look at lighting in a big way. What type of light bulbs do you have at your personal residence? I've switched them all out to LED now. LED. And any particular brand on that? Well, I like to go to Lowe's and just sort of see what they have there. And they've now got these bulbs so cheap. They're under, I think, under $2, eighty, and they've got a long life on them. Three years ago, they were three times as expensive, and the price has just kind of plummeted. It's a little game I play. I just go to Lowe's and see what the average consumer can get off the shelf at what price point. And it's just amazing just watching that price in the last three years kind of fall off a cliff. Now let's talk about the energy efficiency upgrades where you said you can save between 10 to 50% depending on what you implement. What are some specific ways of doing that? Lighting is the first place you want to look. After lighting, there are some basic equipment upgrades, air compressors, other variable speed drives on motors. So if you have a motor that does not have a variable speed drive, which allows it to adjust to the amount of load it has on it, is usually a pretty good payback. And then you want to start getting into your HVAC system, thermal envelope. The only trick about the thermal envelope is the payback can vary pretty drastically depending on what you're doing to the building. If you have a building that you're coming in and ripping all the walls out and all the ceilings and kind of replacing it all, that is an excellent payback on insulation. It's just a slam dunk. If you're going into a building that it's very hard to inject things into the wall or you have to rip out walls to then put insulate and then you're just putting it back, the payback's not as good. A lot of people talk to me about doors and windows, like coming in and replacing a single pane with a double pane or triple pane as a thermal envelope upgrade. And 
My advice to them from everything I've read and talking to professionals on the field is a tube of caulk usually is going to have the biggest bang for your buck in a window situation because infiltration through the window is usually your biggest loss. The actual pane of glass between a single pane and triple with argon gas in between isn't that great. It's still a pretty terrible insulated surface. Your biggest thing for your buck is your roof, your running band at the bottom of the building, and then trying to work the walls as much as you can and using shading devices over your windows to kind of prevent radiation and other things happening to the window. It's mm-hmm. great stuff. So you aren't best friends with window salespeople out there then because you just killed the single double pane thing for one of their selling points. I'm only, I'm only speaking from an energy performance point of view. <laughs> um, aesthetically, <laughs> all the other fronts, newer windows can be awesome. But from an energy point of view, if you're looking for the biggest thing for your buck, I would look at other parts of the building first from the thermal envelope. The roof, generally, the taller your building, you get the stack effect going. Hit that roof as hard as you can with as much insulation as you can. Work down to the bottom, make sure there's no infiltration coming in at the bottom of the building, and then work upwards to the walls. That's where you want to start. Mm-hmm. Now, renewables. Renewables is an interesting conversation. I'd say that uh, there's really four kinds of renewables out there, uh, maybe five. There's geothermal, which is ground source heat pumps. There's solar PV, which everybody kind of knows about. There's solar thermal. And there's biomass. Those are kind of, I'd say, the five renewables if you're talking about renewables for a site. Okay. And we've got, let's see. Oh, I got geothermal, solar, solar thermal, biomass. What was the fifth? Geothermal, solar thermal, solar PV, biomass, and I had five. Okay, four. So okay, four. four. All right. I, 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 okay, cool. I oh, had well, four. Sorry, sorry. Let's, I'll throw you a fifth one, uh, micro wind. Well, you don't have to make anything up. Oh, I'm not making anything up. I'm just doing air quotes, which may be appropriate here for microwind. In some climates, microwind can be a slam dunk. If you're out in Colorado, there's some wind picking up at high speeds. If you put microturbine on the building, they could be a slam dunk. I'm just thinking here for Kentucky. We don't have those higher average wind speeds that you'd find in the western parts of the country or maybe out along the coast. So microturbine was the fifth one I kind of had in the back of my head. When you are hired for a project and your focus is now on the renewable category, how do you think about that? Well, number one, I definitely stress them to look at conservation and energy efficiency first if they're attempting to free up cash flow and reduce their utility costs. I usually talk to them about renewables as an investment strategy. Like if they have extra cash that they want to invest in something with a certain return on investment, Renewables might be very well a good thing to do that they're in control of, that's not out there in the stock market, that's tied to their building. I usually start there. The other way I come at renewables is a marketing approach. If they're a business that's trying to sell themselves as green or trying to promote their green image or things along that line, renewables can go a long way kind of from their marketing budget to be justified above and beyond just the energy savings or energy generation it can bring to the property. The third way that now is starting to come on the table, which I find pretty interesting, storage, the price of storage is dropping pretty dramatically. And with the drop in storage, renewables can actually start to serve as kind of a backup system to the grid. So if you're able to store power, you're actually able to start to utilize it if the grid goes down or in blackout situations. So 
if you have a business that needs to be open in a blackout situation, such as a gas station that wants to work at pumps or other things like that, then renewables might have an extra dimension of value above and beyond just energy saving. That's a great point. As far as the five options, I think I know how you're going to answer this, so I'm going to have to rephrase it, but I'm going to ask it the way I was thinking of asking it. What are a couple of your favorites? Well, what I really love is when applicable, the geothermal solar PV combo is pretty powerful. Your geothermal system kind of knocks out your conventional HVAC situation. So you pretty, and then the solar PV substitutes a lot of your electrical stuff. So you do geothermal, solar, and lighting, a lighting retrofit all together. You're pretty much knocking out, let's call it 70, 80% of your utility bill, or at least redistributing it away from a traditional grid situation. Mm. There's a lot of factors that play into that. Where's your peak? When is your energy demand? Are you using storage or you're not using storage? But in an ideal situation, and I've definitely worked in them before, that lighting geo, solar PV is a pretty powerful trifecta that I think is worth looking into. Now, a lot of buildings are constrained on properties where there just simply isn't a place to drill for geothermal. The ground conditions aren't proper. So with geothermal, it's always, you got to really assess the site. Solar PV, you know, unless you have some large trees or buildings shadowing over you, they generally work. Anywhere in the country, of course, they work better in the southern areas than they do in the northern areas. But in the lighting, if you have older lighting, great of your lighting is generally always going to save you money unless you're going to drastically increase your usage of lighting beyond what your current profile is. So I think those three are definitely worth looking at in combination or individually or in pairs. I thought you were going to say, well, whatever make the most sense for that property, which you kind of did, but you then you answered it. So thanks for playing along with me. <laughs> with your experience as an expert in energy savings and sustainable energy, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors? Well, I work with a lot of clients and I like to think I'm doing a good service. I work on so many different directions. I write grants. I help with utility incentives. I help package audits. But I think one of the best values I bring to a client is one of my simplest and actually most enjoyable, which is kind of just come in and walk around the building and ask some really dumb questions. I sometimes call myself an energy detective, kind of like the Sherlock Holmes, I stick the pipe in my <laughs> mouth, because just walking around and sort of looking and saying, why is that working that way? And why are you doing that? And what's going on over there can sometimes <laughs> bring some of the best slam dunk paybacks I've ever seen. It's amazing. Just having someone from the outside coming in, walking around, asking, let's say, some informed, dumb question. What's that? Why are you doing that? How's that working? And just sort of poking around a little bit. I can give you some examples of some fun ones I've run into before, if you want. Please do. I had a hotel client that I worked with for a couple of years, and I came in and they had uh, about north of $300,000 annual utility bill. And by the time I finished up, they were down in the 180s or so, so almost have their utility bill. And some of the biggest savings were almost instant paybacks that I helped them with. And one in particular was I was looking at some demand interval data, and it's a way of getting your meter to spit out data on a 15-minute interval, almost like a pulse for your building, so you can see when you're using the energy throughout a 15-minute curve of the day. And I was looking at the 15-minute interval, and just at 5.30 in the morning, something really, really wacky was happening in the hotel I couldn't account for. 
So I started asking questions and once again asking dumb questions. I said, well, what's going on at 5.30 in the morning? He said, well, nothing really except our kitchen's kind of heating up at that point. So I ran down to the kitchen and I pulled the chef aside and I said, okay, can you just walk me through exactly what you do at 5.30 in the morning? Because something weird is happening here. So he started pointing around, you know, he said, oh, we turn on that hot plate, we turn on that griddle, we turn on that deep fryer. And then as we were talking, my eyes drifted up to the ceiling where they had a 25 foot long fume hood over the entire cooking area of the kitchen. So I pointed up, I said, when do you turn that thing on? And as he was looking up at it, one of the line guys turned around and said, oh, we never turned that off because someone lost the key five years ago. <laughs> and, and I said, excuse me? And he said, yeah, right there, it was a key switch to turn off and someone lost the key, so we haven't turned it off in five years. So I got an electrician for 20 bucks to come in and switch the little key lock to a switch and save $12,000 a year by turning that fume hood off when the kitchen wasn't in operation. Oh my gosh, wow, 12000 a year at an eight cap. That's $150,000 value. With a $30 investment. The cool thing, though, is the second part of that story was I had a colleague of mine, and I was just kind of proud as punch over this little discovery I made. And we were up in the mechanical room, and I pointed to the motor for the fume hood up in the mechanical room, and I said, you see, that's it. That's what I ratcheted down. And he nodded, and he looked over in the corner, and there was another exactly the same motor, except it was much smaller, spinning as fast as you can imagine. And he said, well, what's that? Once again, informed dumb question. I said, huh. So we called down to the kitchen and said, is there another fume hood in the kitchen? And they said, yeah, there's a small one in the back of the kitchen, but it hasn't been used in about seven years. We got boxes stuck up under it. And I looked at the motor and I said, it's running. <laughs> and sure enough, it had been running for seven years. And we pulled the breaker on it because it's not in use and turned that guy off. And that was another $5,000 in savings Ooh. right there from that little motor just running that no one had a clue it was running. So that's a good example, back to what we were talking about, having someone come in and just poke at why is that running from a conservation point of view? Because sometimes things just get left on and then no one ever asks why it's running, they just assume there's a reason. So having someone come in as a third party who's not affiliated with any brand or any type of company that they're trying to upsell or sell anything, just come in and ask questions or see what's going on and help the owner get their head wrapped around their own property can really be beneficial. Bravo. Thank you for telling those stories. It's entertaining, informative, and shows the ROI for sure. What's your fee structure? It can range. I have lump sum with products that I've kind of developed over the years. So in a certain type of energy audit at a certain scale of building, I can do as a lump sum. If I'm coming into a property and kind of walking around and poking around for a few hours, I do it on an hourly basis. But I'm pretty flexible depending on kind of what situation I'm getting into. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's hear it. <laughs> All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff. To identify the best loan terms, go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. 
That's thecorporateinvestor.com. I'm personalizing it for you, but first I want to ask everyone, best ever book you've read? Okay. The best book I've ever read, I consider myself pretty hardcore entrepreneur. The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, but not the revisited. It's the original, which is a little hard to find, but it is the most amazing book. I've read probably a hundred business books at this point, and it's my favorite. Best ever way that a single family homeowner can be more efficient with their energy, not including lighting? Well, it can be tricky with a homeowner. Like I said, identifying infiltration is probably a pretty big slam dunk. Going down to their basement, if they have a basement, looking for that running band that goes between the first floor beams and maybe the top of a CME block wall, that's usually a very narrow piece of wood that's straight to the outside. So putting a two-inch rigid insulation with caulking around that band and then insulating as much of their roof attic space as they can. There's some trickiness with insulating the attic. They would need to talk to an expert about where you actually draw your thermal envelope, either at the top of your ceiling or the actual attic roof line. But those two spots can really be some of the most effective, cheapest ways a homeowner can start to reduce their cost. Best ever way to get in touch with you? By phone. 513-646-3225. Jason, thank you for being on the show and talking to us about how we can make more money with our properties, conserve energy. It is the three-step process. One, you've got to conserve. Two is energy efficiency upgrades. And three is renewable. So before we put on solar panels, we first must look at conservation And then secondly, energy efficiency. Thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's the corporate investor.com.